Welcome to the latest on the law, a podcast of the Boston Bar Association. The Commonwealth's premier legal association, the BBA, is home to over 15,000 members and 140 institutional partners consisting of law firms, corporations, government agencies, legal aid organizations, and law schools. Visit us at bostonbar.org to learn more. Uh, good afternoon, everyone, and thank you for joining us. Um, welcome on behalf, again, of the Boston Bar Association and, in particular, um, the Business and Commercial Litigation section of which I am a co-chair. My name is Justin O'Brien. I'm a partner at the law firm of Lovett O'Brien here in Boston. And uh, we thank you all for being here with, for what I hope will uh, be a panel where we can cover a lot of ground on a topic that I think um, affects the lives of uh, many practicing attorneys in, in Massachusetts and, and certainly in Superior Court, um, but they may not have uh, full awareness of all the ins and outs of, and I, I know I sure don't. Um, I'm gonna uh, introduce our panel here and then we'll get right into it. Um, we are very pleased and honored to have with us uh, the Honorable Shannon Fryson, uh, Justice of the Superior Court. Judge Fryson has been on the Superior Court for uh, two, since 2013. Uh, so she probably has more than enough rotating uh, in the Superior Court under her belt at this point. Uh, we are supposed to be joined by Judge Peter Krupp, uh, who may be joining us late um, and is probably uh, busy rotating as we speak. Uh, he, uh, Judge Krupp, too, was appointed to the Superior Court in 2013. So uh, between our two judges, uh, plenty of experience with this process. We are also honored to have with us um, acting uh, uh, Clerk Magistrate of the Suffolk Superior Court, John Powers. Uh, to provide some insights from uh, the Suffolk Superior Court Clerk's Office side of things. And finally, last but not least, uh, we are joined by Maria Panazopoulos, who is an assistant clerk magistrate in uh, Middlesex Superior Court and sitting in Woburn uh, Courthouse. So uh, as uh, Trenton said at the outset, please feel free as we go along to post questions uh, online. We'll either take them as they go as they come in uh, or save them to the end, but we'd like to cover as much ground as possible on this topic in the next uh, 45 or 50 minutes and uh, answer any questions you have. So Judge Fryson, um, 10 years on the Superior Court bench, as I said, a lot of rotating in that time. Can you provide just an overview from your perspective of how uh, sort of the nuts and bolts of the uh, Superior Court rotation system, how it works, sort of what it what it means in your life day to day and month to month and year to year um, uh, for judges and yourself included. Sure, thank you. Um, <clears throat> the, the rotation system itself, probably everyone on the call already has experienced, but in general, on both criminal and civil matters, uh, or civil sessions, the judges on the Superior Court rotate by quarter. Uh, and when I say rotate, I mean geographically and to different sessions. So in theory, uh, even if a judge is staying in Suffolk, let's say between one quarter and the next, he or she is still likely to be doing a different session uh, in, in Suffolk. 
I think by default, um, we alternate between criminal and civil each quarter. That is not every judge and some things, some judges do it differently, but in theory, uh, we go criminal, civil, criminal, civil, or likewise. The geography and where a judge sits on the Superior Court is largely dictated by uh, where he or she lives and where there's a need. So in that respect, it's kind of like the Marine Corps in that um, you can make a preference, uh, certainly for your year as a judge and how you want to spend it, but it ultimately is based on the needs of the court. So um, per quarter, uh, a judge may or may not be sitting where he or she wanted to, but the point is for the chief to cover all uh, counties, all courts, and all sessions to the extent possible based on the number of judges the chief has available um, each year. And the schedule is put out for the year such that practitioners should be able to, once the schedule is out, look at it and determine who, who they will have uh, per session for matters all year. Uh, with with some changes that happen just uh, that are unexpected, but that's the basic system. We rotate every three months. We uh, we rotate between criminal and civil. Alternate between criminal and civil, and a, any judge may sit in one, two, three, or four counties over a given year. So that confirms something that I always suspected, just based on my experience. It seems. Uh, and maybe Mr. Powers, you could speak to this too, but uh, there are certain sessions that have more regularity to them in terms of who's in the session or, or which judges are in the session and others that seem to get a lot more, um, uh, you know, passage through them of, of multiple judges, at least over the course of a year. Is that fair to say in terms of how it breaks out different sessions, different counties? Um, it's changed over time. and. Um... Clerks, please jump in. You actually know more than I do on the topic, but I think from my experience, it's changed over time such that um, seniority can play a role and other things happen with that judge. So uh, a judge may need to stay or not be sort of away from Boston or away from Worcester too much, um, perhaps due to personal circumstances. Um, some justices will uh, like a particular session and, and request it more. Say someone who um, is crazy like me may like criminal motion session and uh, doing that every day um, and request it more often. And in those instances, they may or may not get that session more often. Um, so it, it, it kind of depends on the session, special sessions like criminal motions, BLS first session um, may get more people who request it than not. Whereas regular trial sessions, um, pretty much everybody's going to have to do one at some point uh, just, just for coverage. So I think in the past, there may have been more little fiefdoms allowed, as I call it, where I'm just doing criminal motions three, three quarters of the year. Um, 
that's not as much the case now. I, I think that now there is a lot more um, diversity of thought coming through each type of session. And some people think that's good, some people don't. But I think that has changed some to where uh, it, it's a little more, um, there aren't that many sessions anymore where there's just one judge who does it all the time. Right. Um, and and maybe the only type of session that has that now is something like an SDP session where those judges, those few judges basically handle those. But I would say every other type of session, anybody could be in there at this point. Uh, Mr. Powers, could you just chime in briefly on that topic in terms of you, know, you see across uh, all the all the um, sessions in in uh, Suffolk Superior? Can you give us a flavor for you know what experience you might have in one session as a practitioner seeing the same judges kind of going back and forth repeatedly versus other sessions uh, where for whatever reason that session might have more. Uh, variety and traffic in and out. And I, I say this, I mentioned it to you earlier as someone who you know has had cases that in a few years can rack up, you know, five or six judges um, handling things substantively in the same session um, on, on the same case. Sure. A few years ago it seemed at Suffolk we had a number of sessions where we had a a set of, um, set of judges who would come into the session. Um, a lot of that's changed due to retirements. So we had one session where we had Judge Roach and Judge Fahey. They were pretty much in that session. They both retired. And since then, that session has been a little bit in flux. Uh, in my session, uh, we had Judge Brigger and we had Judge James, and the Judge Brigger was elevated to chief, and that throws off the, uh, the, um, um, the, uh, the rotation. Um, there's different schools of thought. Um, some, uh, some like to have the idea of a six-month rotation six months in six months out to create a sense of continuity um some judges like to do the three months uh from those civil go back and forth um we're finding there's far fewer set teams right now i think by and large because of retirements and newer judges in so in suffolk of uh next year we'll have two sessions where you'll have two sets of judges uh, for six months at a time um and then everything else is a little bit of a mishmash of people coming in and getting some so let's get into a little bit of the nuts and bolts of um first of all you know how you all work your way through this process and second of all um guidance and advice for attorneys uh trying to manage cases as efficiently and effectively or maybe as strategically as possible <laughs> through a particular session um maria what um you know, if you have a new judge coming into your session who you haven't seen in some months or maybe haven't ever seen before, uh, what do you do to sort of orient the judge and get them up to speed, if anything, uh, for the session? Well, when I know a new judge that I haven't worked with or even, you know, someone I have worked with and hasn't been in the session for a while, I usually a month ahead of time uh, reach out to them, welcoming them to the session letting them know um, how the session is run. You know, we typically in my session, we do trials nine to one and motions in the afternoon. So I give them a brief overview um, how the session is structured. And sometimes I'll include 
um, you know, the list of what's to come in trials that have been, so they have an idea of what they're coming into. Okay. So, so you, uh, you do that outreach so that when they arrive, they sort of hopefully hit the ground running a little bit. Yes, for sure. For sure. And they'll definitely get the first few days of what's on the list of what we have on for trial. I try even, um, with the judges rotating, um, we have, say, a trial um, in January and the judge is rotating out in December. I'll make sure that the judge has paperwork for the trial that's coming in. And wherever that judge is sitting, they can maybe in that county have the final trial conference and go over um, their motions so they can be ready when they come in to impanel and go forward with their trial. Okay. So at least in your session, it seems there's a good chance that, you know, if someone's just because I look at the calendar and see that there's going to be a new judge on my dispositive motion or my trial starting at the beginning of a, of a, of a session calendar, um, they, at least again, in your session, they may have a leg into it already. That fair. Absolutely. Absolutely. And when they get here, I have, um, I keep all of the files, you know, with the daily lists, um, available to them, you know, with all the relevant paperwork so they can look through um, what's coming. Right. Judge Fison, um, from the from the position of the person doing the rotating in and out of a session, you, what do you do, um, whether it's from Maria or in another session, to prepare for what you're heading into either before you get there or once you arrive? I basically answer Maria's email and <laughs> try to get up to speed on what's going on in her session. Um, uh, Maria is uh, very, very good about that, that initial contact. And a lot of times the judges and the clerks are so wrapped up in the quarter, you can lose sight of that, you know, oh, yes, someone we're about to change over. Um, so it's it's good to have clerks who are sort of keep up with that and 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 help us keep up with it. I um, figure out sort of the, the the very initial things that I'll have to do in the session. Um, I talk to the clerk about the schedule, particularly um, dispositive motions, uh, motion schedule, trial schedule. How you know what what adjustments I may want or need. Um, I'll also alert her to uh, days that I'm not available so that we might have to reschedule some things. Um, it, it, it's a shorter conversation when we work together, uh, like I have with uh, Ms. Pantazopoulos so, so many times. When it's a new clerk that I haven't worked with, um, not only is he or she getting to know how I do things, I'm also getting to know how they do things. And um, seeing where anything might be different or anything that we might need to adjust for, for each other's purposes. So we try to get as much recon in as possible to make the transition smooth. I think what a lot of uh, practitioners may not know is that we're not just, you know, emailing the clerk and switching over on our laptop. We are physically moving offices every three months. Right. Um, for anyone who didn't realize that. So um, like any other move, it's sometimes a pain <laughs> and, and different judges move differently. Uh, some judges move 
from county to county and may have to take um, cars and people and furniture and files and everything else with them. Uh, other folks like me like to travel light and I'm basically just taking my laptop and my phone and um, making it happen. So you you get varying degrees of physical movement at the time. And that's why also um, the, the last days of the quarter and the first days of the quarter, people are still, you know, mentally and physically moving. So you'll hear the clerk a lot of times say, we're not doing a trial. That's the first day of the quarter or the last week of the quarter. Um, and that's really the reason, you know, we're not just switching our minds. We're, we're physically moving. Right. And I think that's not as clear to folks sometimes and that uh, that we have to do that. So rolling off of that, and this is for any any of you uh, to, to jump in, but, you know, as a practitioner and someone who's familiar least with the basics of superior court rotations. You know, I know enough to check the calendar and see that some judge who, at least on a particular case, I may not have dealt with before is going to be sitting for my next hearing or conference or whatever it may be. So I know going into it that I have to sort of, you know, help orient them to the case and the case history and whatever else. But uh, along the lines of what you were just talking about, Judge Freisen, or other things, you know, what advice do you have for counsel who are coming in um, and and seeing a new judge? And and you know, maybe um, uh, Ms. Pan Panazopoulos or Mr. Powers, your perspective on you know the person who's maybe seen this case before, seen this attorney before, maybe you know <laughs> more than you wanted to in a prior quarter. Um, and see them walking into a new judge and and having that perspective on, you know, what should they be aware of? What should they be doing differently based on the fact that they're now, um, you know, dealing with you in the same session, but dealing with a new judge? Well, one of the things in Suffolk is the clerks don't move from their sessions. They stay. So there's consistency. Um, so the clerks know the parties, know the history. Uh, actually uh, can get the temperature of the relationship that the parties have with one another. So we can provide the judge the heads up of what's coming. <clears throat> In terms of uh, educating um, a, a new judge of the session, um, usually it's the latest amended complaint that's been filed. If you're fortunate enough to have a final pretrial conference report filed, that's a pretty good way of doing it. Um, but uh, certainly, I, you know, we the clerks are, are the firewall between the, the, the judge and, and the, the lawyers. And, and, you know, most lawyers are just great to work with, but we have the history. We can tell the judge why the case has been lingering a little while. There may be good reasons, maybe there aren't good reasons, uh, but we can we can give the judges the uh, the background so that they can get up to speed pretty quick. Maria, what are, you, what are your thoughts? Um, I agree with you. I mean, in, in Middlesex, we stay in the session, the judges rotate in, so we do know the history. I think um, a lot of the times, like you said, the joint pretrial memo, the amended complaint, I know if you're coming in and there's a summary judgment that's been filed, you know, the judges do a lot of reading, you know, and, and they get up to speed pretty quickly. So I think a lot of the times, you know, when you come to argue a motion, um, you know, the key points or what you want the judge to know, 
um, especially now since we have um, everything on mass courts and it's scanned in, they have access to it, you know, to read it um, instantaneously. Judge Bryson, uh, you know, for someone particularly, well, maybe not someone who's been um, on the bench for a decade, but um, if it's a newer judge in particular, someone who's coming, you know, for myself, a, a exclusively civil practitioner, but someone who you know is coming out of a criminal session and really has a criminal background, is are there, you know, is it useful to kind of when you're doing, say, a Rule 56 motion to kind of, you know, go through some of the more basics of the civil um, rules or, or whatever the applicable issue might be um, to kind of help just reframe them, if, as particularly if it's at the start of a session or, or are there things like that that a, a practitioner should be aware of, you know, in addition to what you mentioned before about the fact that the, the judge might, if they're new to the session, might just be, um, you know, uh, sort of discombobulated by having to pick up and move a couple counties over and, and relocate. And you're saying if the if the um if if the if the judge is new to the matter or if if the lawyer is new to this to civil. Well I was gonna if the judge is new to the matter and maybe, you know, I've had the experience of judges who are newer to the bench that have, you know, I look them up, or I know of them, and they have a very strong private practice or or DA type um, criminal background. You know, I I try to maybe do a little bit more of whether it's a discovery yeah. or Rule Fifty Six or whatever to kind of you know not in a in a paternalistic way, but just to try to help frame their mind a little bit more than I would with someone who's done this stuff their whole lives. Uh, absolutely. And and I think you should, I really think you should always do that. Um, you know, <laughs> however experienced you think the judge is, some framing, little recap, discussion of any nuances, um, or any particular thing about the dynamic that's gone on in the case that you want the judge to know. I think that's helpful with every judge, even, even ones who've been doing civil a long time. Um, you know, we, we can all stand to be refocused. Okay, this is rule 56. We're working with this standard. Are there material facts still in dispute? You know, what what is the question I'm answering here today? Um that I think that is always helpful. So absolutely. Is there a do you um run up against um practitioners who maybe you know have been in the case a while? <laughs> maybe there's some bad blood, maybe there's a history of you know acrimony there. Um, and, you know, you arrive in the session and you're here to deal with whatever motion or whatever issue. And, um, you know, maybe it's somewhat helpful to get a little bit into the background. But, you know, I could see someone very quickly trying to just it'd be like my two kids fighting, you know, <laughs> like, Judge, let me catch you up on who did what to whom for the last six months. Why do you weren't here? Um, you know, do you see things like that come up sort of that, that don't that aren't helpful? Just almost every case, yes. <laughs> there well, is good. Almost, there's, a, there's a very general piece of advice for everyone involved here. You probably wouldn't be in here if there was no bad blood. Right. Um, so, yes, there it is. It is quite often that, like I said, there's some dynamic that's existed. Uh, this side has refused to give over this document. 
decided to refuse to give us a privilege log. They, you know, something that has gone on, whether it's discovery or otherwise, that um, would not be apparent. And that is one of the parts of um, the clerk's relationship with the judge that is so important that perhaps everyone uh, attending here knows, but if not, I'll just say it. Um, the clerk is going to tell me everything weird about the case. <laughs> okay. So um, I'm not totally blind. You know, if you have been obnoxious, trust and believe, uh, John or Maria is going to tell me that you have been obnoxious. Um, if you are consistently late and don't know how to turn your video on, on Zoom, I will know that uh, probably before coming on. So some of the things that are glaring, problematic, um, have, have created delay or many court dates, the clerk will uh, sort of alert the judge, this is, this is the skinny on this case. This is what's really causing it to have still be in play eight years after it was filed or whatever. So that is a very um, important role between the judge and the clerk. And a, a lot will come out that way. I mean, perhaps not every single thing, but a lot. Um, there, there is a question that um, has been typed in. Well, I'll just, I can relay it. Um, it's, it's basically, before we get too much farther on nuts and bolts, just taking a step back. Um, what's the purpose of this system? I, I think the, the question has in it the suggestion, which is what I always understood, is that it's in some respect to prevent judge shopping. It's to prevent, um, you know, oh, if I walk into this courthouse and can get into the whatever session, I'm, I'm all set uh, because I'm a, I know I'm going to have so-and-so. Um, I guess for all of you, do you, do you, A, is that your understanding of the purpose um, and, and, you know, do you have any comment on that? And and B, do you see it sort of fulfilling that purpose appropriately? Or, you know, if you have these sessions where there's a regular rotation, do people try to play the system? I'll, I'll, I'll start with you, Mr. Powers. Um, well, I think I think it also keeps the judges fresh. I mean, Judge Garzon to comment but i think you do three months or six months in a session it's not a bad idea to get out and go to a different court uh different courts a different uh, rhythm a different feel um i know that uh different when, different different annoying lawyers or maybe the same <laughs> lawyers, maybe the same, i don't know uh, but i know that when we would get to the end of a six-month session you know uh, the judges were generally ready to to, to do something new. So I think that's part of it. Um, and uh, you know, getting the judges exposed to both criminal and civil and motions and trials or what have you. I think that's I think that's a side thing. Judge Fryson, do you see it that way in terms of, you know, with the drawbacks of even if it's just your laptop and your phone and your car, um, you know, there's some hassle to it, but do you see it as sort of a, a refreshing or a reset to to walk into a new session and kind of start over? Yes. And I think that differs from judge to judge. But um, 
Uh, I spent four years on the BMC before coming onto this court where the, each the days are very different and you're essentially doing something different every day. Um, this system in which you are doing one session for three months, I find it refreshing to, uh, you know, after three months, I, I am tired of everything in this room. <laughs> the, the, clerk, the flag, I'm tired of all of it after three months. Um, so it does keep judges sane to a certain extent, keeps your mind fresh, going between criminal and civil. Um, I think all judges have some sessions that they don't mind doing a six-month stint in, and particularly on the civil side, there is some encouragement to share the session, as John was talking about, um, one judge doing six months of it, another sort of a team of judges do, sharing uh, sharing the year. Um, and I think that for civil works out pretty well. But in general, going between sessions, I think helps uh, judges keep their minds fresh, not to, not to be bored, not to be angry, not to be, um, sort of weary in, in uh, you went on mute, Judge Fryson. I'm sorry, I don't even know how that happened, but um, I, I don't think anyone wants judges who are tired of the session, angry that they're coming there. Uh, <laughs> you know, none of, none of that works. It's like that. Oh, it happened again, keeps popping off. Thank you, and I'm not sure why. But I think I think it does. I think for judges, it's not bad. Right. Um, but when you say the the reason in, in this question in particular, I think that the question was whether or not bias um, or reducing the perception of bias is a part of it. I, I think that was originally um, a part of it. You, for instance, when I was practicing uh, some time ago, there were there were sessions that you knew, um, for instance, um, criminal motions in in Suffolk. You knew you were going to get Charles Healy, and and I love Charles Healy, but he wouldn't allow any of my motions. He would <laughs> like set himself on fire, then allow a motion, and so you you kind of knew. For that particular judge, I can get a decent deal if I'm pleading my person out, but I'm pretty much anything else is going to be denied. Right. And I think some diversity of thought when it comes to police citizen interactions uh, was was warranted and and a good thing. Um, so there there are pros and cons, but I think that sort of no one has a fiefdom. There's no oh I'm going to um, Middlesex J, so I already know Price is going to do X because she's done X for 13 years in there. Um, trying to get out of that kind of cycle, I believe. Right, right. Um, Ms. Panazopoulos, do you see people, uh, do you see practitioners trying to um, work the system, work the calendar, work the schedule when they, you know, know that maybe a, a, a particular rotation is up um and and how do you how do you handle that how do you you know confer council judges on that well i set the schedule and you know 
we do get a lot of motions to continue or last minute and they always get the judge always sees everything. So, you know, we can see through sometimes people trying to judge shop and wait till the next rotation comes or see if they can do better. And I think um, the judges can see through that as well as we can see through that. So, you know, your motion may be granted, but it may be granted in a short period of time where the same sitting judge will be there to be able to hear it. So it doesn't always work out in the favor to judge shop. Right, right, right. Uh, good to know. As I, as I think I said in our planning, Paul, I, I'm not smart enough to get to judge shopping. I'm too busy trying to worry about everything else in the case to try to like work that angle. Um, and I'm glad to see that. The folks that do don't necessarily get a leg up. So, haha, on you. Um, uh, uh, sort of the holding over of issues, and um, and then we'll get to special assignment. Um, uh, I guess starting with Judge Freisen again. Do do you, um, or I should say, when apart from special assignment, which we'll come to in a moment, um, when do you? You know, you're sitting in a session, you're leaving. Do you say, all right, well, I'm going to take this motion with me or, you know, when you file this thing after I'm gone, I want to hold on to just that issue. Um, how, how do you make that determination? When is it appropriate for someone to seek it, if at all? I'm not trying to deal with anything you're filing after I leave the session. Okay. So I, I, I'm not going to speak for all the judges on the court, but I could probably speak for 80 of us. In that, in that regard, <laughs> we're not keeping stuff um, to to deal with what you're filing once we're gone. It, the right. the rotation system really won't work that way. Right, right. Um, we are pretty strictly advised or directed to not hold on to things when right. we do the session. The only thing that I will do that with, pretty much is something that I haven't finished hearing. So the hearing has, the actual hearing dates have gone beyond my sitting in the session or a sentence on a plea that I have offered the defendant and they can sort of reach me anywhere to honor that sentence, even if I'm out of the session. Otherwise, we're pretty strictly directed not to do that unless you're specially assigned. And I think people are pretty good about letting go um, when they leave the session. Well, from what you said, it sounds like people are ready to let go usually by the end of the session. So, um, Mr. Powers or Ms. Panazopoulos, do you have any other thoughts on that topic or the way maybe other judges do it or? I think Your Honor is right. Obviously, if you get a motion for reconsideration or something that the judge had, had heard, that that's necessarily has to go back to, the, to that judge. Uh, when you have the six month rotation, you might have a judge who will handle the final pretrial conference and say, you know what, we're going to try this case in January when I come back and, uh, or something like that. If a judge has handled a lot of the uh, pretrial motions, but I think generally speaking, it becomes more complicated when judges are taking um, taking things with them. Um, it just adds some 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 challenges that we just assume avoid if we, if we can. Okay, so um, we did raise uh, special assignment 
uh, a, a standing order 9-80 of the Superior Court allows uh, for seeking special assignment. Uh, I guess, how often do you see it come up? Um, how often uh, of those times where it comes up, is it, is it um, you know, pursued? Is it um, allowed? And um, sort of what are the circumstances that you see that are, are compelling enough to have folks step outside of this, you know, what's been presented is a pretty rigid, you know, we want to keep people moving through to get something specially assigned. And, and I'm putting aside for a second the BLS and, and those types of situations where it's it's going to be particularly paid attention to, but to keep a case with one judge, um, if anyone wants to jump in. I think it's 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 essentially um, an efficiency determination. So uh, only the chief of the court can decide that something is specially assigned to a judge. Normally, uh, that is that will be done uh, without request when it's something that sort of like the um, uh, mesh litigation, tobacco litigation, things that have multiple parties um, and, and attorneys from all over, and it's going to be kind of unwieldy, those will be assigned without anyone asking so that someone can grab a hold of it. Um, I don't see it being requested that often. And I think when it is, it's really a matter of have have I handled so much of it and is it so convoluted that it's just inefficient for another judge to jump in? It right. may be specially assigned. Um, I can't speak for the chief, but that's kind of what I've seen, um, that it's not requested that often. And when it is, it's because it's something special about it that it just doesn't make sense for anyone else to, to get fresh look at it. Right. Mr. Powers is, is a clerk and I've been seeing all across the scope of uh, Suffolk superior matters. What's your perspective on that? We don't, we don't get a lot of them. Um, but it's the chief justice who, who has to allow it. And, uh, and as Judge Fryzon says, it, it's got to be, I think, somewhat extraordinary um, where that judge has handled a significant, either a significant issue, or let's say there's a companion case that is you know, elsewhere that that might benefit from that judge's uh, uh, knowledge of the issues, but generally speaking, I, I don't see, I don't, we don't see a lot of stuff. Right. Um. And uh, Miss Panazopoulos, I, I guess, uh, do, you, do you have a perspective on either of those issues in terms of things being held over, or do you see judges ever trying to? Um, holding over issues or parties trying to get, you know, to a particular judge who dealt with something previously, and maybe not a motion for reconsideration, but saying, is there any way we can get back to judge so-and-so on this? Um, or do you ever see special assignments being sought and in, in at least coming through your session? Well, as Judge Friesen said, um, we we don't really see too many requests for special assignments. Um, Middlesex County has a lot of products liability cases. And, you know, we have a lot of um, cases that are specially assigned um, within those specialties. Those 
So the ones that come to mind, but for the most part, we don't really have um, any requests for people to have a, a judge specially assigned to a case. So um, Judge Krupp has joined us. Welcome, Judge Krupp. Thank you for jumping in when you could. My big apologies to everybody. I, I really just got off the bench. We, we, we uh, I think we we all figured as much. Um, so we're we're sort of in the home stretch here uh, in terms of the issues that we wanted to discuss. But um, you know, as a as someone who's experienced, um, well, you know, the the general back and forth between civil and criminal rotations and bopping around, but also uh, more recently as being one of the um, sitting judges in BLS one, uh, at least a part of the year. Um, could you maybe address just in a in a couple minutes um, both how you work in BLS one, um, where it's uh, just yourself and another judge sort of going back and forth over the course of a year, and then anything you do in particular when you're um, jumping out of BLS one to go off to another session and then come back to BLS one. Yeah, I mean being a BLS one. Um, or any BLS session is is something of a luxury um, uh, for me because um, you you get to know a familiar have a familiarity with the cases um, and Judge Kazanjan and I both share a session so um, she and I can both leave us leave each other um, uh, not not formal notes but we both read the orders that the other has written and uh, the judge the the lawyers can be assured that we will have read the orders that the others have written and. Um, it's a little bit harder to um, judge shop um, uh, in a session where you know that you've got the same two judges. Um, and uh, so I trust Judge Kazanjan's judgments. I think she has made judgments uh, in a um, in in what she thought was the best interest of the case and in, in what she thought was legally correct to do using her discretion. And, and I generally don't second guess that. And I think she has the same kind of policy with me. Um, I think frankly, in the time sessions, judges do the same thing, but oftentimes they have a higher volume of case and sometimes they're not finding all the cases, all the uh, prior orders of other judges. They're relying on the lawyer's advocacy uh, to maybe a little bit more of an extent. Um, and we'll go back and actually read all those orders and, and can and often have before we get on the bench. So. Um, um, there's a little bit less um, of an opportunity to play one off against another. Judge Krupp, will you ever, um, uh, you know, but maybe not in the in the BLS per se, but um, in a in a time session or a regular session, will you reach out to the judge who had the case before ever and say, you know, I'm sort of stuck on this, or what was what was the situation here, or things like that. You know, we we have FTR at our fingertips, so rarely do I have to do that. You know, I will often go back to an FTR hearing on somebody else's case and say, you know, why in the world is this fourth discovery motion coming in front of me for the fifth hearing? You know, what is going on here? And so I go back to the last hearing and I'll listen to it and I'm like, OK, Eureka, you know, uh, I get it now. And um, then I can get on the bench a little bit more educated. Um, you know, that burden is the burden of um 
riding the circuit, as it were, you know, uh, going from place to place. It is harder on judges to be up to speed on what's happening in a case. And it just forces us to do more work. I mean, there's some benefits to riding the circuit and getting different judges to re to populate different counties at different times. It's good to have fresh blood, but um, uh, it does put a bit of a bit of a bit more of a burden on the judges to get up to speed. And it because you're learning every case new and uh, it puts a little bit more of a burden on the lawyers because they've got to educate new judges all the time. Right. Well, it's a burden, but sometimes it's an opportunity to go back to the, maybe not the judge shopping topic that we visited earlier, but at least the fresh face topic of it. It's a somewhat a chance to press reset. Judge Freisen, do you, um, you know, along the lines of reaching out or do you rely on FTR or other, or what's in the, in the written file to figure out you know, things when, when you're particularly stumped by something or trying to figure out a, a circumstance? Yes, calling calling the other judge is probably the last of the things I'll do. Uh, normally, you can figure it out from their orders, uh, from the clerk. Again, the clerk is going to tell you most of what you need to know about the nuances and the dynamics. Um, and it, sometimes there are other breadcrumbs uh, um, in the file, but you know, the we don't really collaborate. So I think judges are usually careful not to say, hey, what's going on? What why'd you do this on a case or what was going on here? We'll we'll, we'll we'd rather just go to FTR, hear it for ourselves. It, it you know, not not much is lost on us once you hear the the actual um argument. So I think calling each other is probably the last thing that we do and, and not that often. You can go back and, and figure it out. Right, okay. So we have a few minutes uh, left and, and basically what I wanted to do is just give um, everyone an opportunity to offer any thoughts on anything that we have covered or haven't covered by way of, um, you know, uh, I think it, in the term, in the, in the phrase of one of our participants in our, in our planning call, pet peeves about how this uh, system works or doesn't work. Um, and as a result of those, maybe um, best practices, best practices that, you know, you would advise a new, a new judge coming on the superior court who's going to be um, engaging in this, in this system. And also obviously um, practitioners, you know, what should they do uh, as I say to, you know, how how can we help you help us, help you help us, uh, and so on, uh, to get through a case and and get through it efficiently and effectively um, as much as possible, and and uh, we'll take it from there. Um, Mr. Powers, do you want to go first? Sure. So I'll just make two 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 quick observations. One of the challenges that that we've had, which are really completely beyond our control, is uh, uh, unjudged sessions, where we have sessions that are are not uh, uh, not covered by a judge for, for a particular quarter. Um, last year, around this time, we were finally caught up. We had every session was covered, and I think by February we had five times. Um, coming in in um, uh, next year in Suffolk, we're going to have three um, uh, to be announced sessions. Uh, one. Uh, an empty session for the first three quarters. Hopefully, that changes with with uh, more uh, with more judicial appointments. But that plays some havoc on our ability to, to 
to, to do our job, particularly if you've got a trial scheduled in that session. We'll try to find a home for you, but if it's a two-week med mal, I, you know, I don't know what we can do. Um, a second thing that I would, I would address is that um, before the pandemic, we had a lot of lawyers coming into every day. Uh, we, our hearings were all in person. Lawyers were coming to our, our session, uh, our, our counter to file. And while being in court, there was a lot of exchange of information. The clerks got to know the, the lawyers, the lawyers got to know the clerks. Uh, the clerks could give you information about what's coming down the pike or, or you know, who's coming in next session. Uh, a lot of that's changed. Uh, we just don't have the foot traffic in the courthouse as much. And uh, I understand there's certainly benefits to doing something like this by Zoom. A lot more people could could participate than they otherwise would, but I think something does get lost when we don't have that um, that that face-to-face um, uh, -face interaction. Uh, coming to court is where you can get a lot of the scoops, a lot of information, and uh, I would hope that uh, we could try to get back to that in some way without uh, you know getting totally away from all right. No, I pre. I mean, I appreciate both those and and. Uh... Uh, particularly the latter, I think, um, because I, I just always feel better when I'm in the courthouse dealing with people face to face. I feel like we we both get it that much more, whatever it is we're working on. Um, Ms. Panazopoulos, um, final thoughts on this process and advice for, you know, clerks who haven't experienced it or judges or, or particularly lawyers? Well, as uh... Mr. Powers said that we do have sessions that um, don't have judges assigned here in Middlesex as well. And it's really hard, you know, trying to find homes for trials and trying to get the motions covered. We keep we try to keep things moving. And a lot of the times we'll give you trial dates, we'll give you hearings for your motions. And we do our best if there's no judge in the session, you know, to make sure that, you know, the date that you have is the date we're going to stick to. A lot of the times at the very last minute, you know, we'll get a call saying, you know, we're still doing discovery. We're not ready or we need a continuance and we can't fit somebody else in that time frame. And the date just goes by and, you know, we don't have a motion and someone else that's been waiting for months and months um, you know, can't fit in there on such short notice. So I think that, you know, a heads up a lot sooner would be ideal to right. help keep cases moving and everybody right. happy. Right. Um, Judge Krupp, sort of final thoughts here for for any of the participants in the process, um, and, and particularly practitioners on ways to to get through it. Well, a couple things um, for the bar generally, um, the court is trying to be responsive to what the bar wants, oftentimes. And if the bar had a view about rotation, the bar should communicate that view about judicial rota uh, rotations. Uh, we're about to have a new chief. Um, and um, I think that uh, the time is is right if you think that we ought to think about making changes. Um, when I got on the bench, uh, it was 90 days. You know, 90 days in one session, I was with uh, Maria and uh, um, I shared a session with Maria with now Chief Justice Bud and the three of the, you know, um, 
And Chief Justice Bud and I alternated 90 days on, 90 days off for three years. And it was the same as being in BLS, except we weren't, you know, we're playing a little bit more hot potato, but it was it was um, also getting to know the cases. And, um, you know, uh, if Judge Bud couldn't get to a case, she would let me know that this case really has to be tried in the next quarter. And please do everything you can to try it and vice versa. And so that was um, a, a very effective way. And increasingly, I would say the court is going to six month rotations, trying to get people to stay in a session for six months or to partner up with somebody else uh, to be in a rotation with somebody else. That's hard to do when you have a lot of turnover and you have a lot of new faces on the court and stuff like that. But um, I think that if the if the bar had a strong predilection, I think the court would try to be responsive. And so I think the bar really needs to think as a body um, what would be the best thing for their cases. Um, well, so I, I, would, I would urge uh, sort of active communication with the court about the rotation system, which is an artifact from the days of uh, riding circuit. Right. Well, thank you for that because I, I um, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm sure there'll be active discussion. As I said, coming into this, particularly on our committee at the BBA, uh, there was a lot of interest in the topic. Um, so, and then finally, Judge Fryson, any final thoughts? Sure, I, I agree with Judge Krupp um, about uh, being active in communicating to the court leaders um, about that system and others. I think there, there, there come times where we have more full discussions between the bench and the bar about a particular issue, maybe because a rule is about to change or needs to change. Um, I think this is along those lines. And there's been a lot of banter about it um, pretty much the whole time I've been in Massachusetts. So uh, I think there are mixed feelings uh, not not everyone in the bar has felt the same way. Not everyone on the bench has felt the same way. But I think communication between the two is is important and should be there should be more of it. Um, aside from that, on individual matters, there is nothing that stops you from asking a judge about the schedule for that um, that that year or asking the clerk, okay, right. who who's going to be in here? What do you know about next quarter or third quarter? And um, you know, trying to get more intel from the session itself. There, there is nothing wrong with that. I don't think anyone's going to yell at you for asking questions about what's upcoming, what's likely to happen in the session, who's likely to hear something. Um, the um, I know that you know forum shopping is technically against the rules. But certainly, you got to represent your client, and so um, you, you need as much information as you can get. However, you get that. So I think just the communication piece is is really key. And um, again, don't be shy. You know, if this is a slip and fall from the grocery store, how many of those do we have? Um, but there's something really. But you know. But but the witness is is was Michael Jackson. I I should know you know tell me that if there's something right, that right. bizarre about it or something very different about how the case is played out uh, in pretrial. Uh, right. Don't be shy about just stating that whenever right. you're in front of the judge. You know what what I'm looking for from the folks is okay. Where are we now? What's why hasn't it settled? And um, 
and and what are the things that aren't apparent that I should know. Right. That's, you know, if you if you come in prepared to state something on those three things, you're you're probably good to go. Um, whether it's a new judge or one you've been dealing with a long time. Right. Great. Um, well, that's um, time for us today. Um, this has been, in my view, fantastic. So I thank you all for um, participating.